This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Star Trek Picard, Episode 1, Remembrance. Welcome back, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about the first episode of Star Trek Picard, Remembrance. Welcome to all of our new listeners as well, the ones that may not have joined us in the past who are checking us out for the Star Trek podcast. I am one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the the academy that is us, uh, I am Chris. Welcome back, everybody. We all excited to talk about some Star Trek with Star Trek Picard. Definitely. It is Stardate 22012020, and I am ready. I, that's about as m- much as I remember of really bad Star, Star Trek puns. So, <laughs> Is that even a pun? I'm not too sure, Chris. <laughs> well, no, the- no, even my usage of... Uh, I'm using a 24th century pun. Okay. Um, it, it means something slightly different. I'll get it in 200 years, 300 years, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and of course, there was always, you know, as a sort of teenager, there was always the hilarity around number one and, of course, uh, Captain's Log. <laughs> you were a very, very dirty-minded teenager, John. <laughs> well, again, welcome back, everybody, to, to TV Podcast Industries. If you haven't joined us for some of our previous shows and you're jumping back on board for Star Trek Picard, make sure you subscribe to the podcast over on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com. You can also leave a voicemail over on the website there for us about any thoughts that you may have about Star Trek Picard or any of the shows that we cover, and we'll talk about them on our podcasts. Uh, we can also send any kind of feedback that you have to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com, or why not Pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries and chat about the shows that you love with us. Yes, we would love to hear your thoughts, comments, points, theories, trivia, Easter eggs on anything to do with the Star Trek Picard. Uh, it'd be great to get your feedback and points in for our feedback section. I don't think we have a name for it, uh, but we could always call it Captain's Log. I thought we had an effort. We had communicator last week, didn't we? Oh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> it's it's the feedback communicator. Yes. Yes. Grant. Absolutely. Uh, we do not have feedback on the first episode of Star Trek Picard because we've been lucky enough to see the episode in advance of its air date over in the US on the 23rd of January and the UK air date, which is the 24th. Actually, I think it's airing in 200 different countries on Amazon Prime, but we'll say UK and Ireland because as you may notice from our voices, we're not American. We are from the UK and Ireland. Um, so we're going to be watching it on Amazon Prime when it starts coming out over here. But if you do share any feedback with us on Star Trek Picard episode one, we'll talk about it on our episode two podcast. I think with that, it's probably time to get into our discussion about Star Trek Picard, right? Yes. And remember, fellow Trekkers and Trekkies, uh, it is spoiler filled. So if you haven't watched the episode, please 
switch off now and come back to us later once you've looked at the first episode. Mm -hmm. So, Derek, what are some of the episode details of this episode called Remembrance? Well, the episode's called Remembrance, just to clarify, it's called Remembrance because of the Remembrance Day of the Attack on Mars. What we found out on the short track, this kind of eight-minute prequel episode to Star Trek Picard, this day used to be First Contact Day. And unfortunately, an attack happened on Mars, and now it's seen as Remembrance Day. It's just a kind of an overshadowing. It used to be a very popular day when people celebrated the first contact between human and aliens. Now it's a day when people remember the fall of Mars or the attack on Mars. So I just think it's interesting, just even in that title, there's a different kind of overview of how this show is going to go. No, I, I agree it, it straight away that this isn't your teenaged next generation. This is growing up. A grown-up next generation, and they're even changing that. They're saying, "Hey, you remember it as this one point from previously. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, it's this." Absolutely, I'd all, I'd actually almost go into the uh, octogenarian uh, version of Star Trek. This is about a man in his older years, uh, way after the old Star Trek Next Generation. So, yeah. And if yeah. you want to catch that short Trek uh, short, then it's called Children of Mars. That's right. So go and check that out and we covered that in our kind of preview podcast if you want to go back to that on tv podcast industries Mm -hmm. where we looked at the children of mars the short trek but also um the two kind of prequel comics picard countdown Mm -hmm. um as well and the third issue of that comic will be out towards the end of january yeah yeah 30th january and we also talked about the european premiere of star trek picard which i was happy enough to go to (laughs) yeah so if you if anyone's interested you can of course check that out yep. on TV Podcast Industries. Yeah, let's get back to the details of the episode. The teleplayer for this episode was written by Akiva Goldsman and James Duff, and the story was done by all of the executive producers: Akiva Goldsman, Michael Shabon, Christian Bayer, and Alex Gersman, with James Duff for this episode. Um, the episode was directed by Hannah L. M. Culpepper. Um, she made her debut back in 2002 and has been a TV director since 2005. Myself and John both discussed her for her work on Gotham. She did season three, episode ten of Gotham and season four episode 12 she also directed two episodes of star trek discovery which i know all three of us absolutely love as well yeah definitely yeah no i i absolutely love her work there and um spoiler alert i love her work here Ooh, excellent well you'll be very happy to know that she gets the first three episodes of star trek picard so uh, she's the director for the first three episodes excellent she's gonna lay the groundwork for what potentially will be three seasons of fun (laughs) or many many more john do you want to give us the synopsis for this episode Sure. At the end of the 24th century, and 14 years after his retirement from Starfleet, Jean-Luc Picard is living a quiet life on his vineyard, Chateau Picard, when he is sought out by a mysterious young woman called Darge in need of his help. He soon realises she may have a personal connection to his own past. Yeah, that's one of the things I have to say I really love, just even in the synopsis there, one of the things I really love is how much connection is here to the old Next Generation. It's very much a commitment from Patrick Stewart that he didn't want to do season eight of The Next Generation. That show finished at season seven or had a couple of movies afterwards, but he pretty much had this commitment that he wasn't going to do an eighth season of that show. He would never have come back for that reason. But at least like they kept some connections in there to the show rather than just being direct sequel to the last thing we saw. We're seeing some just connections, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. I think that's one of the really nice things um, about this episode is there, there is a lovely sentimentality about it in, in the sense that in Jean-Luc Picard, you get the sense of missing his 
former colleagues, but importantly, his friends, the people in Star Trek Next Generation that we all kind of grew up with in the 90s um, or, or have come to since. Um, and you you do get that sense uh, from Patrick Stewart in the way he is portraying Picard here. And I, I think that's really nice. It, it It's that you can forget about it, but just the quality of the acting, as well as how they're weaving in his former um, Enterprise friends into the show means that there's plenty of that nostalgia looking back and, and incorporating Star Trek Next Generation, but it's not beholden to it. Yeah. And so I, I really liked sort of the choices made there for sure. I, I think that's the key thing and we can kind of get into it when we go through our main points, but this is being respectful for what came previously, but at the same time moving it forward to into what TV has become uh, in 2020 or in 2019 uh, when it was made. It doesn't feel like they've just taken the next generation and moved it forward. It acts already just from one hour of TV. I feel that they've, the, the writers, the directors, they, they, they're taking what they know and applying it to this property. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally agree with you, Chris. Um, let's get into our structure for the episodes. We are going to pick our big, medium, and small moments from the episode to talk about. Our big point is probably the big things that happen in the episode. And the medium and small points can be kind of very, very small. That could be just one line of dialogue that we liked and could be just a medium idea or something that's come out of the episode that we're interested in. We're going to call them after the Prime Directive, the Omega Directive, and our number one. Our small point is going to be called our number one. We must face the ramifications of the Prime Directive. So let's get into it. Yeah, good stuff. I do like that. The Prime Directive. Derek, what is your Prime Directive for this episode? I'm going to start right at the start because my biggest surprise when I saw it on the big screen in London at the premiere was how much Data is actually in this episode. I had not thought that Data was going to be back. Brent Spiner playing the character of Data. I thought he was going to be on the show and have some flashback moments, but I didn't think he was going to be as central to the story as he is. And what really stood out to me was this opening sequence where we have John Luke and data on the deck of the starship enterprise the one from the television show not the one from the movies uh, we see the two of them actually playing cards against each other something that the two of them had started to do towards the end of the season with the rest of the crew and there's just this feeling that i got watching it does picard feel that he's failed data the character of data died at the end of the last movie that the two characters appeared in together and i'm wondering whether picard really feels like he's failed his closest friend a lot of the Star Trek The Next Generation show was really about Data becoming a life form, becoming more and more human as he went on, and then he sacrifices himself to save the crew. Does Picard think that he could have saved him? Do they think he could have done something else? Is this a big regret for Picard? Is this why he's constantly dreaming of Data and constantly kind of looking back on his time with him? Is this why Data is leading him through all the things that, that are going on? We know there's no mystical connection between the two of them. We've just done a show on The Witcher, so uh, there, there's a lot of mystical connections in there, but uh, we know there's no mystical connection between these two characters. It's a science fiction show, you know, so I'm just wondering if this is part of Picard's feeling like he may have not accomplished one of the things that he felt like he should have accomplished in his life. Is that why he's having these dreams and nightmares with Data involved? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, I was always taking this as well in terms of hearing about how 
the Federation and Starfleet responds to the attack by the rogue synths were effectively androids and AI mm-hmm. um, have effectively been banned or you know massively restricted. So it, it feels to me that you know in that moment. Picard knows what an android, what a synthetic can become through mm-hmm. data. And I, th- I think it's probably a combination of, the, of these different things about maybe uh, because obviously data dies, sacrifices himself to save Picard in the, the last movie. Mm-hmm. There's that. It's also about his legacy um, because now that synths are banned. So the, yeah. You know, and, and have been tarnished by this attack on Mars. So I think all of these things um, really sort of press upon Picard here. And, and of course, I, I do think that, like, you know, we saw it in, in Logan. Patrick Stewart can really just convey that sort of uh, melancholy of of regret, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's an element of regret here. Uh, as well that yeah. does come through this episode um you know in in that kind of speech where he says i've been waiting here um to die when i should have been out there living mm. um so you know he, he's kind of been wallowing and i do like that inward self reflection and consciousness that picard has in this yeah. um i i think that's really good you get that sense in the comics as well leading up to this to mm-hmm. give this idea that he realizes that he can maybe be too um, too moral, or you know, his values can almost get in the way of how he acts. Yeah, um, and sometimes that can lead to maybe poor decisions or just difficult situations. And I, I, I like that. So I, yeah, I, I think there's an element of him feeling like he's failed data, but also that. He now wants to make that right. Um, he's yeah, been exactly. wallowing in that and now wants to make that right. Yeah, I, I do really like the, the conversation even between the two of them. I love Data kind of going, well, I don't really know which deception to employ here since you figured out that my deception is not being able to deceive you. Yeah, that <laughs> was good. It's a lovely little moment because it even shows with Jean-Luc Picard realizing, you know, this is my friend. This is the person that I know everything about. You know, he kind of goes to him. Um, they have that gambling moment where Data's saying, I want you to put in all your money effectively. And he's saying, I don't want the game to end. If I put in all my money, then I'm all in. And that's the end of the game. I don't want to get out of this. This is absolutely him looking back on his life and going, I don't want it to end the way it the way it seems to be going effectively. So I really like those moments. And it's a nice little nod back to the games nights that all the yeah. the officers in Star Trek Next Generation had as well. You know, we all like a good games night where, I don't know, Cards of Humanity or <laughs> or Exploding Kittens or, or whatever it is that we, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Or just whatever, regular poker. Or Jeff. regular poker. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that's why, you know, in part, I, I, I like games nights because... Mm-hmm. You you have that image, and it's again, it's just that nice little nod without being too much. Yeah, I'm with you, Derek. Uh, I really do feel that he does feel that he failed data. Mm. Um, so, but I think it goes beyond that. I think he thinks he failed the Federation, or what was expected, or what his thoughts were of the Federation. He's 
And then going into what John says, he says, I've been living in the sidelines. I, I've done nothing. Yeah. Um, I should have been out there living. Part of that is as well as he should have been out there fighting mm-hmm. for what he believed in. Um, and I think there's, so it's not just he failed data. He failed his responsibilities. Yeah. If you will. Um, and that comes across. Yeah. And I think, I think exactly what you're, what you're saying, Chris, you know, there is that moment and John's mentioned it as well, just to, just to kind of reiterate it as well. There is that moment where he's finding out how badly thought of the synthetics are now. He's not that he's finding out. He knows it, but it's on screen for us that the synthetics are seen as a, as an awful idea, an awful concept. Everything's been shut down. And effectively, that's the legacy that data was trying to live up to. He was trying to constantly prove that synthetics can be their own race. They can be as good as humans. And now they're thought of as some, a program that you can just shut down and stick in a box, you know? So, uh, so yeah, exactly what you're saying, Chris. It feels like Picard thinks he's let down the entire, entire synthetic race. And, and beyond that, I, I think he thinks he's let down the future. Mm. Well, he's been, he's also been let down by Starfleet, but I know we'll probably come to that in another yes. point. Uh, but he's also felt very let down by Starfleet. So, uh, so yeah. it's an intriguing one. Chris, do you want to take us on to your prime directive, your big moment from the episode? So my prime directive is I'm going to steal. Um, usually it's, uh, John who steals the big points of our episodes. Um, but I'm, I'm taking a, <laughs> a play out of his, uh, his book out of his directive. I, I definitely, have. Um, I am definitely taking his, out my scorebook very soon and finding out who's taking all the big points from the episode, Chris. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I'm going to do this, which is Dash. Mm-hmm. And the actual, um, the, the reveal. I, I don't want to go into, we'll, we'll speak more about her as a character and her adventures in this episode as we go along, but I actually have to just pull out the reveal of what she is, mm-hmm. which is that she is daughter. She is Data's clone daughter. Okay. Which we're starting to think she is a synthetic being made from biological flesh and bone mm-hmm. um or that's what we're made to believe at this point yes uh based on what happens in this episode um and i was just really i was really happy with what this this is um and this 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 story point and the way it came across mm-hmm. i was trying to articulate it earlier when i was thinking about it and it, it's a tough one i wasn't expecting this I was expecting her to be the damsel in distress to a degree. Okay. Um, she would have been the Will Wheaton, Will Crusher, um, kind of up and coming, like just a, as a, a human or something. She's done something bad, yeah. came from the wrong side of the tracks, made a few mistakes. She's taken under the wing by Picard. Then they fall into a big thing and she's pulled along on the journey. Um, so very much I was ex, again, my expectations based on what we had seen was that she would not be central. She would be a side character. And what we found from episode one was that she is not only central to the plot that we assume is going to happen. She's not only central to the overall theme where we talked about the, the uh, synthetics, Mm -hmm. but she's also central to the history that is the next generation through data. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like, I really enjoyed this as well. I, I like the fact that, you know, you had Picard going and doing a bit of sort of rooting around to find out what was happening. I liked how it linked to his dreams were with data. Um, whether, whether 
it was the first stream uh, where he's playing the the, the poker match mm-hmm. with Data, but also then where he's painting underneath the tree yeah. at Chateau Picard in the vineyard. Um, and I, I really like then that you know he he recognizes this 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 painting from from Data, um, and he goes off to the archives, uh, and, and you have her face there, and this really gives the sense that data has been creating um and and has created a daughter so it's kind of interesting as to whether she is data's daughter Mm. i suppose in that sense because these dreams uh, of picard the the evidence of this painting you know that data has then gone created and dodge in in this image that he's painted for picard um, and, and maybe um, in in some ways, then this is Data's daughter. But you have that really interesting moment at the the Daystrom Institute uh, in Japan, where you have this mention of of someone who has gone missing, this Bruce Maddox, um, as well. Who, while Data may have not created her, he or his parts, his kind of technology mm-hmm. and what he had been co- had become ha- have ultimately led to this bruce maddox maybe creating um uh dodge well that's what i find really interesting it's kind of the murder mystery agatha yeah. christie aspect here love this idea of in his dreams captain picard seeing the painting of dodge that data is doing without a face and then he instantly connects it and then goes across the world finds the painting and it's completely in a sealed room it's like one of those really good mysteries you know has anybody ever been in this room nobody's been here since the last time you were here but how did she possibly have the face that data painted almost 30 years ago well it can only be possible if he has some aspect of actual data not even the other version of data B4 that is referenced in the show, this other version of the Android data, it has to be data's mind that this guy, Bruce Maddox has access to. Well, how is that possible since data was destroyed almost 20 years ago? You know, I love this mystery that's in there that, that leads into Dash and let's say it now, her twin sister, um, <gasps> because she does have a twin sister. We say Dash is going to be really important in the series. Unfortunately, Dash dies at the end of this episode. I have to say, one other thing from the premiere, seeing Issa Briotis, who plays this character, coming out directly afterwards going, oh, thank you. I can finally say it. I'm not playing Daz. I only played her in one episode. Now I get to play a completely different character for the rest of the season. You don't know how difficult it is to keep that kind of secret from everybody in the Star Trek universe who's been asking me all about this character. She had to make up stuff so that she was hiding this whole idea that this character died. And it came as a complete shock to me. I did not expect it in that moment at all. She'd been kick-ass throughout the episode. So uh, I was quite impressed that they were able to keep that secret. Yeah, no, that and that's the uh, really interesting. I w- wonder where they're going to go with this because having watched some of the kind of uh, some of the hype train leading up to this, I've seen some of her bits where she's discussed being Daj and things like that. And I'm like, oh, well, that was all not true um or she comes back but it does i i i've made the joke a few times with the boys now over in some of our messages what happened to kaj baj aj um maj laj like are we talking a to z here because they're twins so how many more have been built um like are we going to get that scene 
at some point where it's just an army of them all tur- like you go card goes into a room and they're just all there with different like slightly different clothes superimposed on them and they're all just like hello 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 <laughs> i must admit i've seen this joke a couple of times for you chris and i even mentioned it earlier on i still don't get the joke <laughs> but uh, we do find out that her sister is called soji has got a completely different name so <laughs> she there is only twins we're, we're told that by dr agnes girati um which i'm going to talk about a little bit later on but um when an android is created fr- in the style that this character creates we're told that he has to create two at a time that's why we know that there is a sister um I think, John, you're going to talk a little bit about her and a little bit about the end of the episode as well and your big point. Yeah, I mean, my big point is, um, and this is where I do have some contention with Chris, I think this is the big point. <laughs> but <laughs> it is the Borg ship. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, and importantly, it's being salvaged by the Romulans. Um, so, I mean, for me, this ship contains... A, a number of just like wow moments. Um, I mean, firstly, the Borg ship, you know, the Borg. I, I like the fact that in the opening sequence, there is the Borg ship as well, kind of, I suppose, hiding in plain sight, yep. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's in the opening credits. Yeah, in the opening credits. Um, you then just have the Romulan um, warship flying in to there. And uh, again, for me, Having the Romulans uh, involved in in, um, in in this series is just really, really good because they are mysterious and it always kind of makes me want to know more about them. Uh, and I, I always felt that uh, they were underutilized, I suppose. Um, <laughs> it's really funny. I was listening to a Star Trek podcast the other day, just previewing the show. And, you know, in, in Star Trek fandom, the Romulans are known as the boring characters. Oh, really? Some of the actors and everybody, they all thought... Robulans are boring. They're just kind of evil versions of the Vulcans, and that's it. There's no other character development. So they've been trying to make these characters really interesting from the start, and I think they're going to make it this season. No, absolutely. Um, they also carried off shoulder pads like you would not believe <laughs> in, in the next generation. Um, you know, if, if we could all do that, I think we can learn something from the Romulans uh, with respect to that. Hey, we but, lived through the 80s, John. We know what shoulder pads I, are like. I mean, I, I get the whole boring thing, but it's just because, you know, the, the society of the Romulans is so secretive. Mm-hmm. But when they've kind of, the, the writers have delved into that to break that down, to see that actually they're not. I, I just think they're really interesting uh, and it's because they're underutilized. I always what kind of wanted to know more about this race that mm-hmm. was deemed, you know, probably second to um, the Klingons to be the biggest threat to the Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and they were just kind of ignored. So it was kind of like, well, are they really such a big threat? It, yeah. Like it was. So I'm really glad that it's the Romulans. And um, I think certainly, yes, they will be given. Uh, a makeover and certainly have because uh you know we we see these uh men in black these these kind of troopers in, in black as well sort of uh phasing into or onto planet earth to try and capture Daj and ultimately we see that these are Romulans as well trying to pick her up and that's because again this Borg ship holds another massive secret which is that here is Soji, um, who is Darja's twin sister. Mm. Um, because we, we learn at this Daystrom Institute that they have to be created in pairs. So there is a twin. Yeah. And so 
again, it, it's interesting why one is the on the Borg ship uh, with Romulans working for for the Romulan Empire, mm-hmm. and the other uh, was on Earth as a sort of mild mannered AI uh, student from Seattle, mm-hmm. and you know why are they in completely different places? So, and the other big reveal of it that. Soji knows all about her sister. Yeah. She knows she's a sister, whereas Daj didn't know that at all. She thought she was just a kid from Seattle. Exactly. Um, and and we and we also get to see Harry Treadway here as the Ron Nealon Narek, mm-hmm. uh, which is really good to see. And and I think even just from how he is portraying a Romulan, um, he certainly is coming across as one of the grooviest, most relaxed <laughs> Romulans ever to have been captured uh, on and in the Star Trek universe. I certainly got a feeling at that moment when he said, um, my brother's gone. He's been dead a year. I was wondering, did he murder his brother <laughs> or did someone murder his brother and he's about to take revenge on them? There's one of those two things happening. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I'm so glad that they actually did this reveal at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. We we straight away know where the assumption is that this is the same board cube that uh, that blew up. That they're pulling it together again because it looks unfinished. Like there's chunks taken out of it. So my assumption, I know what they say about making assumptions. <laughs> you make an ass out of everyone else, um, but I. I'm assuming that's where this is. So the the doctor has is now working with the Romulans because they're on that ship. It's where synthetics aren't outlawed on potentially probably on the Romulus uh reclamation part or planet or what they're what the the reclamation center right. that they're building. Right. Okay. Um that's my assumption that like he's able to do his experiments there because he's with the Romulans and they found Data's body or cells on that Borg ship because it exploded. They're pulling it back together. That's becoming their um their refugee camp, if you will. And the I'm assuming that or I'm thinking that because the Romulan population or species was probably decimated by this explosion mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, that they're probably allowing some of the synthetic pieces of this to go on because there is so few of them. They need help rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where they'll go with it. Well, it, it's it's an interesting one as well. Derek had a theory which I thought was quite Machiavellian <laughs> and would link quite nicely with the Romulan frame of mind. Yeah, I I had this theory, and it was John actually that pointed out the Romulan rec- reclamation site is what the location is is said to be right before we see the Borg ship. So I feel like they're salvaging parts to come back as a race. Um, so remember what's happened. If if I know that I know it gets a bit complex in the episode if you haven't read anything beforehand and haven't read, read any of the comic books. So. In the episode, what we hear is that there was a supernova that was about to wipe out all of Romulan space and all of the Romulans. And Admiral Bacard at the time was leading an operation to clear them all out and move them to new planets that they hadn't lived on before to get them out of the exploding zone of the supernova. So he was pulled away from that by Starfleet, who made him come back away from the reclamation effort. And I feel like what's happened is... The supernova went ahead, as everybody thought it was going to, 
killing millions more people than could have been saved by Picard. And what we've got left now is a small number of Romulans who are now pretty pissed off with Starfleet because Starfleet are the ones that pulled that made them pull away. And in the past, we know that the relationship between the Romulans and Starfleet has always been pretty bad. This could have potentially been the bridge that put, brought them together, but by them pulling Picard and his people out, the ones that are left possibly could now be rebuilding themselves as a society by harvesting what was available from this Borg ship and other Borg ships to kind of build themselves back up. Yeah, but and there was also a little bit extra, which was the Machiavellian part, I thought, which was that the synth attack on Mars could have been initiated by the Romulans mm. so that they <laughs> effectively are ahead of the game and now having Borg technology yeah. against the Federation that um, has effectively outlawed Synthetic. synthetics. Yeah. Yeah, um, the, the the other bit is, are Romulans... That Machiavellian, <laughs> I suppose. Well, yeah. yeah, but also, are they... Are they... So, this is where I'm going to need... Uh, I'm going to have to probably bone up on a bit more of the story and everything, but is the are the Borg, as a species, because the Queen dies, are, they, are the Borg gone-gone? Are they, like, are they no longer uh, an enemy? Are they no longer reigning? Because when at the end of now, like the end of first contact, mm -hmm. the queen dies. Um, if they're gone, gone, mm -hmm. is this a way to bring them back in? Because then they start combining synthetic Borg and Romulan into one. Maybe, or is it? Is it becomes where? The Romulans are using the synthetics, the synthetics, and then the Borg can join, and you've got a brand new, fully synthetic Borg mm -hmm. that's made out of flesh and blood. Um, it's just interesting. Yeah. I, I'm curious where they're going to go with this. Again, we're one hour in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Absolutely. Yeah, one hour in and three into our prime directive. Let's get on to our Omega directive, some medium moments from the episode. Implement the Omega directive immediately. Uh, my one, we've already talked quite a lot about this already, so I'm not going to harp on about it, but I just really liked Dr. Agnes Girati over the Daystrom Institute, her conversations with Picard about the rogue synths. I just really thought it was impressive um, work by both actors here because she's very impressed with Picard. She obviously lets him in the door because of who he is, basically, and then kind of has some like nice back and forth joking with them about the fact that what he's saying is impossible. It definitely won't happen. I promise you it won't happen. Well, you've got a good theory there, but that can't happen because this guy disappeared. And I think everybody knows in Star Trek universe, when someone disappears and goes into hiding, hmm, likely we're probably going to see them later on in the season, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. very likely that Bruce Maddox, her former boss, is the one responsible for uh, creating Daj and, and her sister Soji. Um, the plans are quite are quite clear that that's what's happened, but I love how incredulous uh, Dr. Girati could possibly be that this, this can't possibly happen. He only went off with all of these ideas in his head, knowing exactly how to fulfill it, and went out of the universe and we've never seen him again. 
and there's now evidence that he has created it. So I guess uh, all of that stuff has come to pass. Uh, also, the actress that plays uh, Agnes Gerardi, um, you may remember her from uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. She was the uh, the drummer in his band, uh, which I just thought was quite interesting to see her in this more serious role. Uh, and I really, but I did really like her. I haven't seen her in a couple of years, so it was really cool. This was a nice little interaction with uh, Picard. And again, it just added the layers around, um, you know, the fact that all these uh, programs around synthetics, AI, androids have all kind of been shut down within um, Starfleet and the Federation, Mm -hmm. or at least on Earth. And, um, you know, so like in in a sense, if you think of, you know, the, the competing empires or the competing worlds like with romulans with cardassians uh with the with the klingons that you know in in effect in 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 that race um of of technology then the federation is at a complete disadvantage now Mm -hmm. maybe compared to to those other races Uh, and so this this was really nice i i also liked um just this the idea that it the institute was there in in japan it it made the 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 world feel smaller um you know the fact that you can beam into different parts of the world by by walking through those doorways mm-hmm. uh, and of course yes the big mystery of of bruce maddox um and, and where has he disappeared to Will he be found forced <laughs> against his will uh, to be helping the Romulans in, mm-hmm. in the Borg ship, maybe? Um, or is Maddox some kind of infiltration uh, into Earth anyway previously? Uh, again, there's still a lot to uncover oh, here, yeah. but it it's nice that, you know, we, we've got so many sort of uh, crumb trails here going Absolutely. on. Uh, what with um, Maddox, but also with... Darge and with Picard and the 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 dreams of uh, of Picard with data in them that it's just nicely um, as you say murder mystery in that sense I I really enjoyed that just again any show that gives you intrigue like that is is good and you really want to see uh, Picard going out there and finding out this stuff yeah definitely definitely Uh, also uh, Doctor Gerardi did have my favorite line in the episode. We're about to come around to that. No, I promised you earlier on. <laughs> Which I just thought was quite fun. I, I, I think she's going to be bad. Dr. Jurassic. Yeah, I think she's going to be... I, I think she's, it will turn out that she's involved in it somehow. It's that kind of... She's been working uh, in the background with Dr. Maddox, or Dr. Maddox is dead, and she's been running the experiments Interesting. in the background um, while keeping her professional career alive um because this is her daughter as well because she was working so much with maddox yeah there was definitely a lot of regret in her voice when yes she was showing him around and it's kind of you know two people in the room in a dusty lab that's not allowed to do any experiments at all they're told that they can just do everything in the head yeah it's all simulations yeah and then when she showed off the the old data unit um, that just got a, a bells ringing for me. Yeah, yeah, not alarm bells, but more. Hmm. There's more. There's more to this character. It's. I. I. I don't mean in the fact that, like, she'll be underutilized or anything. It's more. I. I don't see her as just being the, 
the 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 knowledgeable doctor on sims right I, I, she will be yeah, more essential to exactly it. like and rogue scientists have always played a big part in star trek uh at you know dreaming <laughs> whether it's the movie or the uh-huh. tv shows that that yeah. rogue scientist and certainly one were effectively her type of research has been absolutely restricted yeah. to the point where as you say she is almost thinking back longingly about um the the time before when they could actually create these things and now yeah. it's all just models and simulations in in, in a computer yeah. rather than being able to create androids synthetics and, and and push the boundaries of the physical aspect of what the artificial intelligence and the the technology can do so maybe then it's well she was given the offer by the Romulans or whoever mm. to to help out so maybe she you know, coshed old Maddox on the back of the head <laughs> and shipped him off to the Romulans. Right. I'm going to be a bit more positive in this one because this is Star Trek following on the story of Picard here. So I'm really hopeful that Agnes Gerati is the positive scientist who is the guide to help them find Bruce Maddox, who's the evil scientist. Because <laughs> I'm really hopeful that we've got another new scientist. Science has always played such a major role in Star Trek and the history of Star Trek. And science is treated very positively for the most part uh, in the show. You know, this idea that this person's work has been shut down, but she's still keeping it going and still keeping the ideas flowing is also quite a positive idea. So I'm hoping she's just another member of his crew, maybe to go out and help him find Bruce Maddox. That's what I'm hoping for. But John, do you want to take us on to your medium moment from the episode? Yes, she's activating. She's activating um, (laughs) where Darge goes from basically an AI uh, major student uh, from Seattle to what a kick ass operative of Mm -hmm. something or a rogue synth, which is what I was thinking at the time. And I know then it connects in with data and potentially with Maddox. So her storyline does um, sort of progress there very quickly. But Uh I I thought this opening was was really good with the what the the three kind of SWAT team, as we later find out, Romulans um, coming in uh, and trying to effectively take her memory or to kidnap her. Um, it seems like they were trying to kidnap her, yeah. given what Soji says right at the end. But I really like where she just kind of goes into uh, autopilot in terms of uh, defending herself from mm-hmm. these three Romulans. Um, unfortunately, her uh, her boyfriend does get a sort of Romulan knife to the chest. Yeah. And doesn't make it out alive. But, you know, this is the thing that kicks it off. And it was just a, a nice little moment going from uh, this couple uh, on the sofa to these three guys materializing in her apartment. Uh, again, the the dangers of uh, transporter technology. Absolutely. Can you imagine if you got it wrong? Um, <laughs> it's a good job it wasn't the bedroom, actually. Yeah, or 20 and, minutes later, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, sort of effectively uh she's she's this like secret agent sort of kick-ass um ninja Mm. of some description and of course the other thing with these um guys in black that came to you know we do find out that they are romulan and uh they have kind of it's almost like that nazi thing with rather than the cyanide pill uh the, the crack of acid or whatever it was, um, as well as their weaponry, be able to sort of self-destruct, mm. um, which I thought was quite cool. We see that later on, but um, 
this was a nice moment, I think, just to kick her off into having to go on the run and, mm-hmm. and having that image of Picard flash into her mind as um, the, the Romulans are trying to determine whether she's been activated or not. Yeah. And it's interesting because I did then think she was just a, a uh, an upgraded form of data, in a sense. I, I wasn't really thinking of living tissue androids right. uh, or, or synthetic. I was thinking that maybe like Terminator, mm-hmm. there was an outer biological layer. Um, but then you start to realize that the the whole technology has moved on exactly. since since data so yeah. um I, I thought this was a really good opening i like the you know the bit of action as well yeah. um of, of this new character uh short-lived as though as though she may be yeah yeah a little uh, little jason Bourne moment there really yeah exactly it's kind of been awakened and doesn't know her past uh, i do like the touch though and, and you kind of mentioned it there though john uh, i do like the touch in here that the technology has can only move on from data because data is such a unique specimen that they can't create anything like him without going back to the original data. And now that he's gone, nobody would be able to continue those leaps in science um, because data was a leap in science in himself. So I kind of like that idea that Dash has to have been created from data because there's nobody else that could be like her if they didn't start at that starting point. I just think that's an interesting piece to the whole mythology of who Data is, I suppose. Yeah, I just love the overall um, kind of the the strangeness of when Daj goes from, like you said, the AI major to Lieutenant Kickass. Mm-hmm. Um, she does it quite yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and it, it's that kind of almost what the hell just happened to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, Isa is, she portrays that kind of like, I, why am I holding this weapon? What the, what, what, what's going on? Yeah. yeah I love, she even describes that to, to Jean-Luc later on, where she says that the, when the hood came off, I, it was like I was in the, in the eye of a storm. It was like, I, like I was at the edge of a hurricane, you know, that everything around me was destroyed in the room. You know, she doesn't even realize how much she's done. And I guess if she's activated, possibly she doesn't know what's just happened so yeah i kind of like that what i really thought was happening when they were when they were saying she's activating she's activating i my i was thinking it's very much like the all these sleeper yeah do you remember yeah. like the, the there's the americans that tv show mm-hmm. where it's all about sleeper agents and things like that so i'm really interested to see who else can activate yeah or why can you imagine like we get the scene in later episodes where it's Every, like a, a whole room activates. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's why I was thinking it was a rogue synth that they had maybe planted more of them in um, in the society on Earth, mm. and that this because yep. again at this moment in time, the the three kind of military sort of people that have just transported in, you you think they're human. Yeah. Um, for me, I just thought this was she's a synthetic, um, she's a rogue synthetic. And they're trying to clean up all these different people that have been put as, you know, like Jason Bourne sleeper agents within yes. within society. Ah, Blade Runner then, you think? Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah almost yeah. like that, exactly. Um, so I thought uh, I thought that was really good. And then you realize, you know, it, it's a different narrative that's about to come out. So I, I really, really enjoyed uh, th- this element. And I think it was a good punchy start to um picard mm-hmm. i i will pose the question to you guys is her mother 
a computer program or is her mother a real person? Because the the reason I posit this to you very quickly is the mother if the mother's on the Borg cube, that's a that's a real long distance call. Absolutely. <laughs> In, um, yeah. So it, it, it's a and I get the sense of potentially we'll find out that the mother is just a data like AI in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say that particular call that she makes, that's definitely a computerized person because you see it change direction in the way that it's saying something when she gets the piece of information from Dash. Dash says, I left a safe place because I didn't want to put them in danger. And you see a kind of a, oh, oh, why don't you yeah, go back to Picard? Kind of twitch, twitch. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that twitch, twitch, retrieving information kind of thing. So I don't know whether her mother exists at all. Um, you hear that conversation between Daz and Picard where he says to her, that's a lovely memory to have, but it's not real. Yes. Basically, it's not a not a true memory. It's implanted in your brain, but he's much more polite about it than I am. Um, but he's kind of saying, you know, <laughs> nothing that, that she's saying may have actually taken place. They may all be implanted memories. She may have only arrived on Earth a month or two beforehand, you know? Um, we don't know any of this, but she believes all of us. She believes all of those things about her past. That phone call to her mother could be phone call to headquarters to get information and they activate her effectively. Uh, you see that with yeah. the conversation where immediately afterwards she says, just stare into it, look for Picard, you need to find Picard. And then suddenly she's able to do those massively fast moves on the computer to find Picard on earth which he says is impossible um for anybody else to do so yeah it feels to me that at least that communication between the two it's a computer talking to dash yeah i'm gonna jump Mm -hmm. in here and bring in my medium point my omega directive which is very much the the fighting on the roof um and not yes this was a deadly fighting Uh like it we don't need to say too much about it because It, it was so cool on all levels. Uh, it was great choreography, yeah. great stunt acting. Um, the, they didn't make her too superhuman mm-hmm. aside from one very long jump. Yeah. Yes. Um, which I kind of went, okay, let's see where this we'll goes. Go yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, we're not going to, it's not going to go anywhere. Dash is no more. Yeah. Um, what I did like, and I'm going to call this out now, which is they didn't, age down Picard mm-hmm. and by this I mean Picard is not a gun what well, didn't jump into old Picard gun not gun toting uh-huh. but like <laughs> but he he could back Picard could throw a punch back then in next generation after, after season um, three I think yeah <laughs> yeah so they didn't to be fair Patrick Sherwood is five just under I think just around five years um older than say Arnold Schwarzenegger right <laughs> that's a strange comparative, Chris. <laughs> I just say he's. Se- Sorry? I just say he's seventy nine years old. That's such a strange comparison to say he's five years older than Arnie. <laughs> well, by the comparison, what I'm trying to get is like in the Expendables, okay, or in the latest Terminator, they <laughs> had someone acting in uh, Arnold's steed, right? Who like, and they kind of just did a bit of CGI to make it look like him. Uh, and he, he was his gun toting self. Oh dear. Okay. So yeah. now, even though Arnold Schwarzenegger probably can't do, he's a, he's a specimen still, uh-huh. but like it's, he's an old man. He's like 75. I think, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is not 75, is he? 
Arnold Schwarzenegger is seventy around seventy five. I think. Wow. Okay. Wow. Just under. Okay. Yeah. Well, just one other thing that that did come out recently about the character of Jean Luc Picard is ninety two years old in this universe. Um, the actor is seventy nine. So, um, so there is even a difference in their two ages. So he is actually aged up in the show. Um, that's why his. <laughs> that's why you see that his eyebrows are almost white. And when you do see Patrick Stewart, he has grey eyebrows. So it, he is aged up on the show as well. I think that's quite an interesting point too. And exactly. And that, that that is cool. But what I enjoyed even more is where he, like, he's an old man and they had him up the stairs and by the end of it, he was like, I can't, I can't do any much. Uh-huh. Yeah. I can't, and she has to grab him, physically pull him yeah. the remaining couple of flights. I was definitely in the cinema going, please don't make Patrick Stewart run around. The poor guy, <laughs> don't make him run. He, he seems fine. He seems fit. Don't get me wrong. He's probably fitter than I am, to be honest. But it does seem a moment you're like, he doesn't need to run in these scenes. Yeah. Just cut to another scene. It's fine. <laughs> Exactly. And I just thought that was, I just, that was my big kind of Omega directive. It's, he, he's acting age appropriate for the character yes. in that sense. And they're yeah, exactly. treating the character the same as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Picard is not going to be in, it was always one worry. Worry is a wrong word. It's again too strong. But one bit I, I had about this is that they were going to make him, I, I don't even know. Like he, he would be running around a bit. He would be, um, shooting all the weapons, the phasers, everything. And a bit like there's that scene in the trailer where we see seven of nine mm-hmm. doing her dual wielding guns. Yes. And I had a slight concern. Mm. There you go. That's better than it's not a worry. It was a slight concern that they may at some point make Picard a bit like that. Right. So where you, like, a, a captain of a pirate ship, he has to kind of be a bit ruthless and kind of take a few guns out. But no, he's age appropriate. Yeah, and I, I just I'm don't think really it would be true to the that. character as well if they if they did that too. You know, it, it, Star Trek Next Generation did generally have Picard on the bridge and he sent a team out to do the work. You know, that that he was a delegator. He was a proper manager of, yes. of people, you know. Uh, while he did go out on away missions quite often, it was about him talking to people to get them to do the things he needed them to do. There wasn't a huge amount of fighting from Picard. Most of his team got into fistfights, but not usually from him. So uh, I'm glad they did that. One other thing I want to call call out about that scene, though, Chris, you did say some of the stunt work's amazing. I think that scene where Daz throws one of the guys over her shoulder, he looks like he cracks his back on one of the bars. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to point it out because that's great stunt work. I hope the guy's okay, (laughs) but it's if if (laughs) he's allowed to be kept in and, and spent a couple of weeks in traction and he's fine now. Well done. Well worth it. Again, another really good bit of action because yeah, the the fighting was was just superb. Uh, there were like she chucks another one over the edge as well. There mm. were a few, and I think cracks another one on the staircase mm-hmm. as well. So there's some really good sort of takedown moments from Daj uh, in this. And, and again, here we get to finally see that they're Romulans yeah. uh, as well. Maybe from the Tal Shiar. Um, in terms of maybe their sort of elite fighting force rather than the spy network. Right. So, um, I, I really, that, that was really good. And then you were like going, ah, okay, this is where the Romulans are coming in. Yeah. Excellent. And, you know, not really understanding how or what that meant until it's kind of, okay, let's zoom in on this Romulan warship. Yeah. 
Oh, it's going into a bigger vessel. Mm-hmm. What's this bigger vessel? Ah, it's the Borg ship. Exactly. Or a, a reclaimed Borg ship. So mm-hmm. like, whoa, okay. A Borg so, ship they're taking apart to its very yeah, core. Yeah, this like, was the, you know, this this fight was was good in that, yeah, not only did it, was it good for Picard in how he was kind of responding to the action, but you saw kick-ass Darge, um, who also then we see yeah killed off and you're like going oh okay and it's only because of the conversation at daystrom that you're gonna go oh there must be another yeah exactly But you're like they're going oh my goodness she's gone and yeah you thought this was going to be the through thread through for the the rest of the series Mm -hmm. exactly exactly really good scene uh i must say i really enjoyed that i think it's number one time make it so number one just a small moment about the episode to talk about. We've talked about a lot of the episodes, so I don't want to go back over multiple things. Uh, but just, I have to say, I liked our first introduction to Picard on Earth in Chateau Picard, where he has his vineyard. I love there's moments there where you see him getting slightly angry about things that are going on and drinking a couple of glasses of wine, you know. <laughs> we have uh, Loris and Jaban, um, who are working with Picard. We know them from the comic books, John. We've we've talked about them on our, uh, our comic book chat. They're kind of two Romulan refugees who have attached themselves onto Picard. They've been working for him for about 12 years now at this stage, I think, uh, somewhere between 12 and 14 years. Um, but so I like their relationship. You know, they're they're almost like old school housekeepers uh, dealing with the boss basically but they have a good little ribbing of him uh, occasionally I love you know even even Laura saying to him go upstairs and wash your hands it's been 12 years and I still have to remind you every day <laughs> and then I also like the really old reference it's a, a nice little gag where he's now drinking tea Earl Grey decaf because tea Earl Grey hot used to be his old drink but he can't drink uh, caffeinated tea anymore yeah, no, that yeah. <laughs> that was good. Even though it does solve all of life's little problems, as he also points out to Dad later on. So I like that too. Yeah, that. Although to be honest, he might not be taking a lot of caffeine, but wow, the size of that glass of wine that he was drinking, <laughs> and yeah, he's the size cer- of his head. Yeah, that, it's yeah. certainly taking on uh, a bit of alcohol. Yeah. Uh, but why wouldn't you when you've got your vineyard laid out before you, the family t- homestead? Absolutely, he has to test every barrel, right? Isn't that the deal? If you own your own vineyard, you have to test one glass out of every barrel. Surely that is the rule. <laughs> and the glass must be the size of your head. What do you guys think of Lars and Jevan? I really like them. Um, I think certainly just sort of being introduced to them uh, in uh, the Romulan Empire, one of the the, the worlds uh, being evacuated by Picard uh, from the Star Trek Picard uh, sort of prequel comics, mm-hmm. Then there was a little familiarity uh, with them there. I, I suppose for me, I, I really like their interaction. Again, I'm now beginning to wonder because they were members of the Tal Shah. <laughs> so again, I'm just like, I mean, not every Romulan can be evil, yeah. can they? Um, you know, it, it, I'm just wondering. Uh, In fact, we know not everyone is because there was a storyline with Spock going to the Romulans no, and ex- being treated very well. And, and exactly. Picard going there. There is a respect for Picard within some of the Romulans as well. But I'm just wondering, when you said about the theory that you had and, uh-huh. and the idea that maybe this is some kind of, you know, knowing that their home world was going to get consumed by this supernova that they decided, well, we need to find a new empire 
we can take the federation <laughs> if we you know there's so as i say there's some kind of really sort of evil nasty plan on, underneath this and maybe having two talshar agents in with admiral picard um that could be one one of the things that they they need here um so i think they're great characters for sure and mm-hmm. i hope they are uh you know good in, in that sense I, I did kind of like their interaction with picard in, in uh chateau yeah in the chateau and i love that laris has an irish accent as well that's quite cool too yeah uh one thing i'll point out is i haven't read the comics um so i i knew they were romulan and i knew picard had helped them quote, quote unquote mm-hmm. somehow yeah. but that's all we know from exactly yes. yes and and we don't know a huge amount more from the comic books either to be to be fair uh there's not a massive amount of extra stuff they've just built a little bit of a story uh showing their first introduction yeah no so it's just interesting so as a first introduction on the tv show yeah they're cool mm-hmm. i like their relationship with picard um uh but uh until we know more yeah i'm I'm interested to see where it goes welcome to tv podcast industries where everybody's a suspect until they're not (laughs) (laughs) i like it or even when they're they're not not, we're still still gonna think that they might be yes exactly uh chris they usher him off to um a special meeting uh in his uh in the chateau Uh, i know that this is your um small moment for the episode my number one. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, my number one is, oh, Basil Exposition. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I was to be critical of any moment in mm-hmm. this episode, it was this TV interview. Um, I understand why they had to do it. I understand why they did it the way they mm-hmm. did. Um, because they needed to, in a short amount of time, explain what has happened where Picard is and his feelings. So it was the only, I don't know whether it was the writing or the, the setting of the kind of it as being a TV interview, because the way he, so before the interview starts, he goes, did you remind her not to talk? And she goes, yes, they're not going to talk about that one thing. And I'm like, okay, they're going to bring that one thing up. up. Yes. It's, yeah, exactly. It was, it was signposted, uh, and not subtly. So for me, this just felt very story sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. Um, in that I I felt potential. I don't know. Again, I'm not like we discussed these things. I, I never said, or I can never claim that I will ever have better ideas, Mm. but. For this part, it just felt a bit too Basil Exposition for me. It was just... I'm sorry. For our new uh, TV podcast listeners who are joining us uh, for your first show, by Basil Exposition, um, what I mean, uh, because I I say uh, across a lot of our shows... We use it a lot, don't we? Yeah. It's... it's, I I forget. It's from a TV show in the UK. I can't remember which (laughs) one. Oh, Chris. It's from Austin Powers. Oh, there you go. Basil Exposition, Austin Powers, there you go. He, it's that, it's that trope where a character or a scene basically is just put in to give you all the background and the story very quickly in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And it basically 
doesn't move the story forward it's not it's not done well it's just shoved in i think the way i'd probably describe it is that it's serving the writers to get them from point a to point b quickly as opposed to serving the audience to present them something that's really exciting to watch because it's not that exciting to watch an interview it's only exciting at the point when picard pushes back because you see how violently angry in his soul he is that starfleet pulled the plug from under him and closed ranks and pulled back to the earth and stopped going out in the universe and protecting people. I do love that part of the scene. Yeah. Uh, early on in the scene, yeah. when there's a lot of exposition being thrown out, as you say, when she's getting the entire universe up to speed on the last 20, 20 years, um, it's not a great part of the scene, but I do love his reaction to it. You know, and, and it's kind of one of those things that, it, you know, it, it did needed to be done. And I, I think, like, if you've not watched the short trek you haven't read the two sort of prelude comics mm-hmm. well then there are certain aspects about this that have to be brought to the attention of the viewer it's the wrong way to say it. it's kind of the necessary evil to have a, a, yes. a short sharp burst of of exposition uh, as you say to get the writers from point a to point b and i would agree with you chris it's like it did just feel um, just plonked in there. I, I, you know, I, I'm not too sure whether the character of Picard would be doing an interview like this and then having the signpost not to talk about this. Although I was intrigued, this idea of the separation from the Starfleet, because of course, you know, the Starfleet, uh, the Federation is such a big part of Jean-Luc Picard's life that mm-hmm. you're kind of going, okay, what has happened? You know, that fallout from the attack on Mars, the pulling of the plug of this great sort of rescue armada, like, you know, he makes that reference to Dunkirk and so on. Um, uh, that, okay, you know, and it does link into, to, to, to data, but it's just the vehicle. The vehicle of a TV interview maybe just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it yeah. could have been a friend visiting him or even, you know, I don't know, um, Loris and Zaban just mentioning something mm. and, and getting that bit of exposition in something that feels a bit more natural to what we had seen up till then. However, yes, him getting sort of frustrated and angry, like the clenching of the fists and mm. so on. I really enjoyed that, that final bit and, and just understanding a bit more as well, um, about his separation from Starfleet then yeah. what was, was fine to me, but, um, it did just feel like a TV crew had turned up at Chateau Picard mm-hmm. to do an interview for no particular reason, but I know I well, it was the yeah. anniversary yeah. of Remembrance exactly. Day. Exactly, the episode's I, called Remembrance. Yeah, yeah but but <laughs> yeah. still, like, yeah, it, it, exactly. it felt too horny. It's, that, it's that, but still, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, like for me, I would have done it with Dash. I would have used yeah. her. I don't know how she would have found him, or like you could have found something other, but she, you could have had her speaking with Laris and Zaban, um, and Picard at a table, Picard losing the cool slightly yeah. because Dodge keeps pressing him over. So I, I can, the writers are better than me. It just felt, yeah, it just felt slightly off, but it served its purpose and I don't think it will happen yeah, again. I think the option here was to either go and do something like this, dump it right at the start, give everybody the information they need and just move on with the story or do what so many other shows do these days if you're doing a sequel to something that's gone a couple of years ago, which is, but why is Picard left? 
oh, we're not telling you that until episode seven of the show. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. I'm really glad they just went, right, here's what happened. If you want any more detail on it, go read the comic books and go see this short track. That'll give you some more information about it. Otherwise, let's kick on with the story and you'll get some more details and more beats in the background. But I know what you mean, Chris. It's it's one of those things that, that unfortunately has to happen sometimes. John, what's your number one, your little point about this episode? Uh, I think for me, it was spending time uh, just on Federation Earth. Mm. You know, so many times in Star Trek, particularly in the movies, you're just at Starfleet Academy mm -hmm. or you're at a Starfleet sort of... Um, building or, or warehouse or f installation or facility or whatever. And I really felt it was quite nice that effectively until the final bit, this was all on Earth. You know, we go from Chateau Picard in France, we see Darge in Paris, and we see Picard going to San Francisco and to the Starfleet archives to kind of uncover this mystery, then to the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa, Japan. And you really got a sense of how this earth is different from um where we live at the moment that, that this idea of a future earth yeah. and that you know institutes are global now travel is glo is global but in an instant oh, yes. you know that the earth effectively has been shrunk um through being able to travel through um, the the transporters yeah. uh, i and bet you people would still be late for work though i'm sure they would oh but of course <laughs> But well, they'll all be still trying to take a sickie. Um, <laughs> but I thought this was really, really nice mm -hmm. um, to just spend some time on Federation Earth um, and see how Earth is different, not just other cultures, because I just don't feel we've really had a lot of that, really, um, sort of in, in the past. So I thought this was just time really well spent going around different parts of the world yeah. um, and and understanding... Earth, you know, even in Darja's apartment with the other, uh, with her boyfriend, mm -hmm. um, all all of this just Boston, wasn't it? Yeah, in yeah. Boston, this all just felt really kind of um, mm. normal in a sense, uh, and it was just really nice, yeah. but part of the Federation. So that that's kind of my small point, mm -hmm. um, was just to to get to spend time on Earth. Absolutely, absolutely. We've heard about it kind yeah. of being the center of Starfleet so often. It's kind of nice that they have done a lot of work on earth to make it you know a, a, a working planet where you can move around really easily and there's loads of stuff uh, all over the planet so i think that's quite cool yeah and finally after our big point medium point and small point any kind of easter eggs and stuff that we've seen in the episode chris have you seen one there well i don't have an easter egg or it's my, my kind of really just tiny note is just that opening credits theme um and just the opening credits as a whole um it's amazing i, I just wanted to call it out and um, I, it, it just, it was straight away, it didn't tug on my heartstrings. Mm. It just, it, it boldly transported me where no man has gone before. <laughs> um, no. but, uh, jokes aside, it was just really good. The, the, the crawl itself, the animation, uh, yes, it gave away some Easter eggs, um, to, now that we've seen the episode. Um, but, i.e., the board cube and then the, the, the little, um, cells or the machines the nano nanobots um but as a whole i and it just the the credits looked amazing mm -hmm. but it's just the theme music got yeah. me um and i was trying to figure out why i was just like okay it, it's just the the atmospheric music throughout the show mm -hmm. was good i was like okay so i looked into it and the actual um 
composer and conductor for Picard is a gentleman named Jeff Russo. Mm-hmm. And you may not know the name, but you know his work. Because he's done every episode, he's composer and conductor for every episode of Fargo. He has done every episode of Alter Carbon and Umbrella Academy, which have some amazing songs and and music and compositions in it. He's done Legion. Well, there you go. All of Legion. So think of the Bollywood scene Mm -hmm. alone. That is a hat tip. But (laughs) classic, classic music in that show. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. But the, the biggest one is he did Star Trek Discovery. Fantastic, of course. And the theme song in Star Trek, the opening theme of Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. And that was one that I'm, I'm in awe of. That, that still, it brought kind of parts of kind of my, my childhood back because of the original Star Trek. It's so close to it. Yeah. And this opening theme for Picard is something similar. Like it, it, it calls, it probably calls on next generation, but just, doesn't at the same time it's its own beast and i think that's what this show is so with with an opening credit theme he's called back to the next generation but made it its own beast yeah yeah um so yeah i just a massive hat tip um kudos um the biggest bone of days whatever you want to call jeff russo you are the man <laughs> it's a really good theme definitely really looking forward to it on the other nine episodes of the show um other Easter eggs from the episode, we have missed loads, I promise. I've written down a bunch that I remember from uh, from seeing the episode. But our fellow listeners, our fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, uh, send in any ones that you've seen from the episode that I've missed here. But I was just really impressed when they went into the Starfleet archives. As a fan of Next Generation, um, seeing Captain Picard walk into this room full of all these memories from the show and from the movies. I just think it's really cute. Definitely. It's a really nice moment that the Captain Picard Day banner that's in the background, the kids on the Starship Enterprise used to have a, a day every year where they created artwork for Captain Picard, and that was one of the banners they created. So even though he always protested about it, it only it was only shown in the show, I think, once, but even though he protested about the idea of the kids worshipping him as their hero, he still keeps the banner in his in his uh, little archive. I think that's very cute. Um you also see the Enterprise E, the one that was from First Contact and Insurrection. You see a model of that in there. He's always had models of his little spaceships uh, over the years. So nice to see some models in there as well. Another spaceship model that he has in there. There's a ship with four nacelles. They're kind of the engines on the back of the ship. Uh, that was Picard's first ship, the Stargazer. I thought that was quite a nice little touch. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Uh, the only thing I've is just to build on what you were saying about the, you mentioned it before, Derek, um, that the attack on Mars took place on the same date as First Contact, which was um, made with Zephram Co- Cochrane when uh, he first met the Vulcans, and and you get the um, you, you get warp drive uh, for the first time, that first successful launch, um, and they used to celebrate this First Con- Contact Day, but now it's Remembrance Day for the victims of the attack on Mars. Yeah. So it's that that double edged sword of of um, celebration and remembrance here mm-hmm. uh, of both the contact day and first contact day and remembrance day first so. attack day possibly by the Romulans yes um, exactly yeah I want I'm, I'm trying to pull the date out of the back of my head I think it's April 4th someone's gonna correct me on that but I think it's April 4th uh, it's the date of that day um guys overall what did you think of Star Trek Picard episode one remembrance John 
Well, in the spirit of uh, Jean-Luc Picard, I would give this four massive glasses of Chateau Picard red mm-hmm. wine out of five. Um, I just thought this was a really nicely paced um, opener uh, with with doffing of, of the cap to to data and I, I liked how that was done through a dream sequence uh the, the shock of dodge potentially being a, a, an android of of flesh and bone almost a biological android mm-hmm. or synthetic uh if if those two uh, terms aren't a contradiction um and then being destroyed through that kind of acid pill that the romulan uh, military sort of kidnapper uh, had, had taken I think absolutely um sort of coming back to see the Borg ship and the 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 lovely surprises held within it. It was almost kind of like a Borg Christmas present <laughs> under the Christmas tree, wasn't it really? It just needed a bow on it. But with uh with the Romulans in the reclaiming technology, you have Dodge's twin sister here, Soji, you've got um Harry Treadway, uh as I say, being, dare I say it, probably one of the coolest Romulans ever to mm-hmm. grace the screen. Uh, but also just this mystery now around Bruce Maddox. You know, for me, I thought it was going to be that mystery of Daj, um, and she was going to be this through line. And now it's more likely to be her twin sister and the mystery surrounding Maddox. I have no idea whether that will be the case or not. Yeah. But again, it's it, it's the intrigue. And of course, for me, Patrick Stewart just embodies this character so, so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, I, I think um, knowing what he had done in Logan and knowing he was doing this, I was excited because, um, you know, he just plays... the an aged Picard in retirement, angry with himself, still wanting to do more just so, so well. Um, so I absolutely uh, really enjoyed the, this opener and I can't wait for the next episode. So Chris, what do you think of Remembrance? For me, it's such a strong opening. It really is. It it It, it took, yes, okay, it had the Basil exposition, but it was needed because... Um, I haven't read the, I haven't watched short treks. I haven't watched or read the comic books. So they needed to bring me up to speed. It wasn't the best way, but it was still good. It planted enough questions, um, to kind of where is the story going? Um, they, there's, as you said, there's hundreds of Easter eggs we probably missed, but the ones that we saw were fantastic because it may be, Oh, I remember, kind of remember that. It's nice to be back in this universe. Not saying, like, it's been a while, and I'm not saying that Discovery, because I personally love Discovery, but Discovery is in the past. Um, It's set in the past. This is set post-Voyager, post-Deep Space Nine, post-The um, Next Generation, which is what I actually grew up on. Um, So I didn't grow up on the original, in the, the, star, the original Star Trek, Star Trek. Um, so next, the first Star Trek for me was the next generation. My first captain was Picard. So it's nice to be back there. And I love the films. Um, I know not everyone does. I know. Um, but for me, it, this is, it's a strong rebuilding and of that universe. Um, so I'm really happy and excited to see where we go with this. Derek, 
What about yourself? What did you think of the very first episode, Remembrance? Oh, I love this. I absolutely love this episode. And finally getting to talk about it with you guys and finally hearing your thoughts. Um, I'm really happy that you guys enjoyed it as much as I did as well. Phew! There's a tendency now for people to look at these types of things as properties that they want to make money out of. And what they do is give fanboys what they want. Well, I'm a fanboy and what I wanted was a really well-written story starring... Uh, Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard and in one episode they've done that for me so keep giving me what I want Um, I'll love it forever and I'll keep watching (laughs) all of your series and all of the connected shows I'll keep buying all the stuff I'll buy the hats I'll buy t-shirts I'll keep doing it as long as you give me great stories starring this character I don't care about being serviced as a fan. Everybody loves to be serviced, right? So, um, so yes, I don't mind. Do. I don't mind getting fan service as long as it's done in a good way and written well. And I think this is done in a good way and written well. That's about all I could probably hope for. And I'm really happy to be going into a series that I'm more excited after the first episode than I was before seeing the first episode. That's that's a pretty good sign, right? Yes, definitely. And it is as long as that keeps going. I'm I'm going to be happy. Excellent, excellent. We have no feedback for this episode, but we are going to pay a visit to 10 Forward. Yes, it is the Star Trek Picard pub quiz. (laughs) And we are in 10 Forward. So, fellow Trekkers and Trekkies, grab your Romulan ale and uh, put on Star Trekking across the universe (laughs) onto the 10 Forward jukebox. uh, Because we are coming back. So we started this in our Watchmen coverage where Mm -hmm. we did a pub quiz. Uh, One question each episode across the series. The question and answer is related to this episode. Mm -hmm. In our final wrap-up episode, we will announce the winner of... The Ten Forward Pub Quiz. Mm-hmm. Um, the ten questions in the Ten Forward Pub Quiz. Exactly. Really well ten questions <laughs> in the Ten Forward Pub Quiz. Um, and, of course, there will be a Star Trek-themed prize for the winner. Mm-hmm. Um, so the winner will be the person with the most correct answers, yep. uh, which, again, we will read out um, in our final wrap-up. So, fellow Trekkers and Trekkies... Question number one from Remembrance. What common piece of jewellery does Daj and her twin sister Soji have, and what does it represent? So I think the represent is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very good, John. Very good. Um, That's the first question from our table quiz. Uh, Please enter. You can enter by emailing us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. And also, speaking of 10 Forward, did you guys see the interview with uh, with Patrick Stewart, um, who is being interviewed on The View, a show that Whoopi Goldberg is, is, is one of the presenters on, where he asked her to come and join him playing Guinan for season two of awesome. Star Trek Picard? That, it, it felt so staged, mm-hmm. but I'm still so happy. Yeah. So happy, absolutely. Awesome. Who cares if it was staged? <laughs> I told exactly. you. Exactly. I know it was staged and I don't care. I told you. I'm a fan and like to get serviced. That's the way things work. <laughs> <laughs> we all like to get Absolutely. serviced. Absolutely. Thanks so much again for joining us, fellow trackers and trackies. You can send any of your thoughts to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. If you want to hear your voice of the podcast, you can also go to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about the episode. You can also support us over on Patreon. If you would like to, you can go to patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries and support us over there. Absolutely. Or 
please support us by sharing the podcast, mm-hmm. subscribing, leaving a review, because sharing is caring, and sharing the podcast is, of course, sharing the love. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll be back next week for episode two of Star Trek Picard, Maps and Legends. Bye-bye, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. Keep watching the stars. Boldly go where no man has gone before to episode two. Thank you so much for joining us, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. It's a pleasure speaking with you. And of course, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and another Star Trek reference. Engage. Bye. 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 And he is sought out by a mysterious young woman called Darge. <laughs> Darge. <laughs> Sorry. When he is sought out by a mysterious young woman called Dahl. <laughs> Why would you say her name? Darge. You had it right. Darge. Yeah, you had Darge. it right. Darge. Yeah, I think it was just my intonation. Mm-hmm. When he is sought out by a mysterious young woman called Darge in need of his help. You know, so like in in a sense, if you think of you know the the competing empires or the competing worlds, like with Romulans, with um, the Cardassians, with <laughs> I keep calling them the Cardassians, with the Cardassians. Um, what are they? What can is Cardassians? Yeah, Cardassians are the is the ship. Yeah, Cardassians is the species. Cardassians is the species. Yeah. That's why you see that his eyebrows are almost white when you do see Patrick Picard. He Patrick Picard. <laughs> completely threw myself. Excuse me. I've completely threw myself. Sean Luke Picard. No, I've forgotten his name. Patrick Stewart. <laughs> and when you do see Patrick Stewart, he has grey eyebrows. So. It,